Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company, and I hope you give them a visit, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. Find out more by visiting lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific guest for today's show, including Keith Flaw. Keith is the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. We'll visit with Michael Cannon, Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. And uh, Dr. George Markovich will be with us as well. He's an orthopedic surgeon right now in the trenches in healthcare. Look forward to his point of view. And former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will be joining us as well. It is December the 3rd, and on this day, in a letter dated December the 3rd, 1776, George Washington, he was a general at the time, wrote to Congress from the headquarters in Trenton, New Jersey, to report that he had transported much of the Continental Army's stores and baggage across the Delaware River to Pennsylvania. His famous crossing of the Delaware would be less than one month later. In his letter, he wrote, Immediately on my arrival here, I ordered the removal of all the military and other stores and baggage over the Delaware. A great quantity already got over, and as soon as the boats come up from Philadelphia, we shall load them, by which means I will hope to have everything secured this night and tomorrow if we are not disturbed. That General George Washington. He then made the critical strategic move of confiscating and burning all the boats along the Delaware to prevent British uh, troops from pursuing his beleaguered troops across the river. The British strategy of chasing Washington across New Jersey rather than capturing him and his entire army in Manhattan seemed to be a stroke of genius. As New Jersey was devastated at the hands of the British forces and Washington's men cowered in Pennsylvania. Even staunch patriots, including Thomas Jefferson, considered surrendering to the crown. That's how stark things were. And by the way, it was cold, the uh, little, the uh, cold time in, in uh, Pennsylvania at the time. What did they call it? The little ice age, what they called it. Anyhow, on this day, General Washington received a letter dated November the 30th from his second in command, General Charles Lee, writing he, writing he was about to cross into New York into the Peekskill on the day in 1776. And apt reflection of the state of American fortunes, the British captured him. Nine days later in New Jersey, Richard Stockton, a leading New Jersey patron, signer of the Declaration of Independence, was also in British custody and was forced to swear an oath to the allegiance of the British king, along with thousands of New Jersey neighbors. General George Washington, by the way, author John Burlow is going to be on the show tomorrow. We're talking about uh, uh, George Washington. I didn't know much about him. I knew he was a surveyor, and, but his personality seemed rather remote to me. Well, John has brought this alive. He wrote a book called uh, George Washington Entrepreneur. Very interesting book. I read it over the weekend. I look forward to talking to him about it. Well, the Florida Department of Health reported 221 new cases of COVID-19 and three additional deaths in Cuyahoga County on Wednesday. There are 86 folks in the hospital, according to the uh, data. and That's one fewer patient than there was reported at approximately the same time in on Tuesday. So uh, nationally, we're, we're in pretty good shape here. Lots of beds available and, uh, for health care, for COVID-19 and so forth. But nationally, the news is lots of deaths, lots of COVID-19, scare, scare, scare. Uh, it's just very interesting to see what's going on. So Je- uh, George- Governor DeSantis released a video yesterday giving information on the distribution of the vaccine. I thought it was reassuring to those that are uh, fear-ridden. Yeah, he... I'm not going to read the whole letter. It was a very good letter. I would encourage you to look at it if you can. But he pointed out that uh, we're going to redistribute what we have available, and it's going to start coming in January and February to people who work in long-term care facilities and to people who are at risk and uh, need the vaccine. Uh, so he also said that uh, he made this important comp- uh, observation. He said, uh, on the horizon, I think there's a promise in one of the things being manufactured by Johnson & Johnson, they've already produced this on an industrial scale. Importantly, it only requires one dose, and it doesn't require any type of special storage, as Moderna does. 
Pfizer. I think it's Pfizer that requires uh, to be refrigerated. So as we work with your most high-risk vaccinated in December and January, you may see during the month of January an FDA approval for Johnson & Johnson. That would be very good news. I would also suggest to the governor perhaps we should vaccinate those who are fear-ridden uh, so they can go about their lives and be productive without worrying about, oh, by the way, though, there is a uh, 10 to 15% of people who take the vaccine apparently are going to have side effects. What they are, uh, they don't announce. But anyhow, God bless you and God bless the great state of Florida. Uh, DeSantis ends his letter, his, his statement. Well, the great George Mason University and Mercatus Center professor and uh, syndicated columnist uh, and economist William E. Uh, Walter E. Williams died yesterday at the age of 40, 84. I've certainly been influenced by his writing and commentary. He's been on a guest on my show many times, and I do, he will be sorely missed. His last column was written on November the 5th, man, less than a month before he died. And I'd like to read his column, or at least portions of it, because I think it's so poignant and speaks to what's happening today. He says, I was a teenager growing up in, in the Richard Allen Housing Project of North Philadelphia when Emmett Till was lynched in Money, Mississippi on August the 28th, 1955, and his brutalized, unrecognizable body later recovered from the Tal Tallahatchie River. From 1882 to 1968, 4,743 lynchings occurred in the United States. 73% were black people and 27% were white. Many whites were lynched because they were Republicans who supported their fellow black citizens and opposed the lawless act of lynching. Tuskegee Institute or University has the best documentation of the lynching, he goes on. At the time of my youth, Today's opportunities for socioeconomic advancement were non-existent for black people. For all but a few, college attendance was out of the question because of finances and racial discrimination. And then he goes on, through the quality of education at Benjamin Franklin is a mere shadow of the past. Today, roughly 17% of the graduating class have been admitted to college, and he's talking about his high school. The true hope for a youngster graduating from high school during the 50s was a well-paying and steady job. My first well-paying job was as a taxi driver for Yellow Cab Company. He goes on to get his Ph.D. in economics and he becomes a professor at uh, George Mason University. He points out, he talks about out-of-wedlock birth. He says out-of-wedlock birth rate among blacks in 1940 was about 11%. Today is 75%. Black female-headed households were just 18% of households in 1950, opposed to 68% today. In fact, from 19, 1890 to 1940, the black marriage rate was slightly higher than that of whites. Even during slavery, when marriage was forbidden, most black children lived in biological two-parent families. And then in New York City, he says, in 1925, 85% of black households were two-parent households. That's in 1925. A study of 1880 family structure in Philadelphia showed that three-quarters of black families were two-parent households. That's all changed, hasn't it? So his point is this. He said, uh, we can't look to black political power. It's not the solution of our problems. What I'm saying is the solution to most of the major problems that confront black people will not be found in the political arena or by electing more black people to high office. One important step for black Americans is to stop being useful tools for the left hate America agenda. Many black problems are exacerbated by guilt-ridden white people. Often they accept uh, behavior and standards from black people that they would not begin to accept from white people. In that sense, white liberal guilt is a form of disrespect uh, in their relationships with black Americans. Take that in. Isn't that interesting? Liberal guilt is a form of disrespect in the relationships with black Americans. By the same token, black people should stop exploiting the guilt white, and let, them, let us all keep in mind that history is one of the immutable facts of life. Walter E. Williams, God rest his soul. He brought a personal toughness honed in a Philly cab driver to fighting for freedom for more than 40 years. He did not flinch when he was vilified for taking unpopular positions. Instead, he kept smiling and explaining and helping legions of folks recognize the folly of trusting government to save their butts. He recognized the Constitution intended to, leash intended to leash politicians, not vex Americans. 
in perpetuity was elected to be a dictator. Walter E. Williams, rest in peace. It was a pleasure to have a personal relationship with him and know him during his life. While addressing Americans today at the White House, President Trump said that this may be the most important speech that I've ever made. He gave a speech about election integrity, voter fraud, and made sure that the faith of the American electoral process is upheld. I want to provide an update on our ongoing efforts, he said, to expose the tremendous voter fraud and irregularities which took place during this ridiculously long November 3rd election. We used to have what we called an election day. Now we have election days, weeks, and months, and lots of bad things happen during this ridiculous period of time, he said, especially when you have to prove almost nothing to exercise our great privilege, the right to vote. As president, I have no higher duty than to defend the laws and the Constitution of the United States. This is why I'm determined to protect our election system, which is now uncoordinated assault and under siege. If you haven't seen this address, I strongly encourage you. It's on Facebook, actually. And the president put a lot of effort in, into his words, and he selected them carefully. And uh, basically, it's a great defense of what's going on right now. They've been, they're fighting legal battles, and it's too numerous to talk about, actually. And Linda and I have been watching... Uh, these presentations for hours every day. It's so interesting and intriguing. I don't know if you saw Lynn Wood yesterday. It was amazing. And president, the president's uh, popularity at Rasmussen, Rasmussen Report's daily presidential tracking poll shows that he's at 50% of likely voters approving of his job performance. That's amazing when all this is going on. And uh, Attorney Sidney Powell and Lynn Wood joined a rally of Patriots yesterday at, at Wills Park in Alpharetta, Georgia. The goings-on there were just absolutely intriguing. I hope you have a chance to see that as well. All right, we're going to need to move on to uh, Keith Law, the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com and Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. Lifeinnaples.net is the website. Okay, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabees Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabees Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabees Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. 
Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and I proudly serve on the board of the Foundation for Government Accountability. Visit thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Michael Cannon. He is the Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. Right now we have with us Keith Flaw, a guy I greatly admire. He started an organization, co-founded the Florida Citizens Alliance about eight years ago, and what progress and influence they've developed to help education in Florida. Keith Flaw. Keith, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Keith. Uh, Tell us about the Florida Citizens Alliance. Well, we're, uh, as you mentioned, we've been around for about eight years. Uh, we focus on K-12 through education reform. Uh, to us, that means uh, strongly advocating for uh, parental choice options in education and uh, trying to stop the indoctrination. Interestingly enough, in the last uh, six months, uh, we've grown from 60,000 people in our active support base to well over 110,000. Wow. Uh, 50,000 of those people are parents with kids 17 or under the home. So we're, we're, we're growing and we're reaching more parents to help them uh, uh, understand the education options they have for their children. Yeah, and this, it's, the work you're doing is so important. First of all, you know, the, the next generation of Floridians right now being in our public schools and, of course, with all the COVID-19 stuff going on, it's just really critical, the work you're doing, and showing parents options that they have for their kids' education uh, it's really great. Where I'm, I'm a founding member, by the way, of the uh, of the organization, and proud of it. So uh, I understand there was a press conference with the uh, Commissioner of Education and the Governor about education this past week. Yeah, it was uh, early in the week. It was Monday. Uh, the Governor uh, announced that schools will remain on, uh, open, and remote learning will continue. Uh, and it requires the the uh, school districts. And there's been a lot of discussion from. Um, the union side of of the equation to close these schools. Mm. And so he's uh, simply stating that they they will continue to be required open uh, five days a week. Um, What's uh, interesting is uh, he made a statement early in the press conference, and I'll quote him. He said, I would say that the closing schools due to coronavirus is probably the biggest public health blunder in modern American history. Mm. Schools are a safe place to be, and they will remain open. So I thought that was interesting. It is great. Yeah. The, um, in conjunction with this, uh, Corcoran issued an, uh, an updated emergency order on this on this uh, for the schools, and it has uh, a couple of uh, a number of interesting aspects to it. But in the initial part of the executive order, we have 2.9 million kids in public schools in Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that acknowledges that uh, nearly 65% of them are now back in bricks and mortar schools. So that means 35% aren't, That's right. which is well over a million kids are still, uh, you know, not, not in back in bricks and mortar school. Um, the, the, it goes on to acknowledge uh, that a disproportionate number of students um, are, 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 who are nearly uh, educationally disadvantaged by learning off campus. Are um, their learning gaps are expanding? Sure, they are. And so, what the order does, uh, it does the order apparently does a number of things. It requires every school district in Florida to submit a plan by December fifteenth. So that's twelve days away, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> to submit a plan on how they're going to reach out, they're going to identify the students uh, in the, these million kids that are disproportionately being disadvantaged. And uh, suppl- and reach out to those parents and advise them that their kids are their learning gaps are are expanding, and encourage the parents to put their kids back in, in bricks and mortar schools. And if the parent the parent will be required to sign uh, a statement uh, that they acknowledge if they decide to keep their kids out of out of bricks and mortar schools, they're going to have to sign the statement saying. They accept the responsibility. So that's kind of interesting. That's great. Uh, you know, approach. I, I, one observation is some kids are going to learn in spite of the public school system. And, and I'm not putting down the public school system necessarily. I'm just saying they're self-starters. They're curious. They're going to learn anyhow. And some of those kids are best off uh, probably homeschooling. And that, So there's a group of kids, maybe 10% of them, less than that maybe, who probably are better off uh, being homeschooled. But the balance people, you know, they need everybody 
most people need supervision. They need something. They need accountability for the learning process. And right. I think the governor and the, and the commission of education are right on. Yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a clear statement with where we're headed nationally and what we've been hearing about what um, Biden's going to do if he gets elected yeah. uh, with schools. Uh, this is a clear shot across the bow that uh, Florida's not going to not going to go down that road. So uh, I think that's that's fascinating. You know, I remember when Obama was on office. Uh, my line of th- thinking was pretty much the uh, the one. Uh, firewall that we have against uh, intruding socialism is the state of florida and the leadership in florida and DeSantis, i think is doing a great job god forbid should uh, biden get in office i think that i'm going back to that line of thinking which is basically Flor- florida's the firewall right uh, it'll be it's, uh, and you and i've talked about this on your show i think uh, we're going to i'm hopeful uh, optimistically hopeful that we're going to see DeSantis use uh, the 10th Amendment, state sovereignty, to just stand up against any of that kind of garbage. Abs- so, absolutely. Well, this one, is- other, uh, oh, uh, one other aside uh, that uh, I think you and your listeners might find interesting, the, uh, you know, the state legislature, now the legislators are beginning to file bills for the 2021 cycle. Yes. And uh, a representative out of Orange County, which is uh, the Orlando area, uh, has just filed a bill uh, and... Uh, and the the intent of the bill is to re- remove the mandatory authority of the state health officer uh-huh. from mandating um, vaccinations. Uh, it's kind of an interesting aside. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of parents that I run into, uh, and uh, and grandparents who are really concerned that the um, local powers that be are going to mandate vaccinations. Yeah, and. Um, this doesn't this doesn't directly apply to those local officers, but it takes it, it, if this gets filed in the Senate and gets passed, it would remove the authority of the state health officer to mandate yeah. that you have to have a vaccination. Yeah, yeah, this uh, is so important. I mean, this is just another way that the government can intrude. Now, you know, probably getting a vaccination is a good idea. I'm not sure. I'm not going to rush to get a, a vaccine if it's available for me. I'm going to do some research on it. But it should remain in the hands of the parents, certainly not in the hands of uh, health care officials. Public health care officials have been wrong about almost everything up to this point. I agree. So, I mean, there's a, the, the, the point of bringing that up is uh, not only just the, the vaccination side of that, but we're headed into the legislative cycle and there's going to be 50 or 60 education bills that get filed. Yeah. Uh, we've been having some good, really productive discussions with some of the leadership. We had a Zoom uh, Zoom call uh, two days ago with uh, uh, Senator Stelly, uh, Kelly Stargell, who is now in charge of the whole appropriations budget. And uh, we're really on the same, wave, same wavelength in terms of what needs to be done in education. So it was very refreshing and encouraging yeah. uh, that in, in that senior leadership position, uh, she's going to continue to be a, a, an outspoken spokesperson for uh, school choice yeah keith i just i wish we could extend the conversation i really appreciate your commentary (laughs) here on the show but uh i want to point out that you've got two websites uh and i'd like uh, maybe you could give us to them one is for parents it's a it's a resource center which is really terrific tell us about it yeah it's it's libertyscholar.org and as you said it's a resource center and the other was just our general website uh florida's flca uh, uh, goflca.com goflca.com. Keith, uh, again, you're doing great work, God's work. I just really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Terrific. Take care, Bob. You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Michael Cannon. He's the Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network.
Provence restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the Intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Offshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse. You just heard the commercial. It brings you professional New York style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich. Right now, we have another healthcare specialist. Michael Cannon is the director of health studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me back, Bob. Always a pleasure, Michael. Tell us about the Cato Institute. The Cato Institute is a libertarian think tank in Washington, D.C. We've been around since 1977, and we uh, exist to provide a voice for the traditional libertarian principles of individual liberty, limited government, free markets, and peace. Yeah, great organization. It's one of the reasons I'm so attracted to the Cato Institute. Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. So, Michael, we're in the midst of uh, distributing this vaccine now for uh, coronavirus. Uh, why don't you just get your thoughts on what's happening right now? So, interestingly, the United Kingdom has uh, begun distribution of the vaccine. They've approved this, uh, and, and they're starting to deploy it. Uh, we are not there yet in the United States. The Food and Drug Administration wants to pour over all of the data that the drug companies, Pfizer and Moderna uh, and, and others, have accumulated in their trials of these vaccines, and they're taking a little longer than the authorities in the United Kingdom are. They're meeting on December 10th, for example, to discuss Pfizer, uh, and uh, and then after that, by the end of the year, we should, if they, the FDA approves uh, the Pfizer vaccine, we should have tens of millions of, uh, of people inoculated uh, with these vaccines against the novel coronavirus. Mm. And right now, uh, what the authorities are trying to decide is who's going to get it first, because we're going to have, uh, you know, tens of millions, in the low tens of millions of these doses uh, available for people uh, in a country of 330 million. So there's not enough to go around. And when you've got that sort of a, a shortage situation, something's got to ration, something's got to decide who's going to get these uh, vaccines. And to a large extent, that's going to be state government. The federal government has an advisory panel, which has said that state governments should prioritize healthcare workers and nursing home residents and employees. But there's a little bit of controversy about that. Uh, but uh, the state uh, state officials will be making these decisions on a state-by-state -state basis. You know, uh, actually, our governor, DeSantis, uh, had a video that he put out, a speech to the people about the distribution of uh 
the uh, vaccine. And he was pretty clear on exactly how that's all going to happen. He, as you pointed out, nursing homes and people on the front lines in healthcare getting the vaccines first, and uh, then uh, people over 65 in some manner that should be, be de- determined. I quite frankly think it should also be distributed to people that have uh, the, are participating in the pandemic of fear. Let, <laughs> let them get vaccinated so you can get them settled down and get, get on with their lives. So there is some controversy about this. Some people think that uh, teachers should get, uh, and other you know, so-called essential workers, I really kind of cringe at that term. Yeah, me too. They're all, the if list. they're not essential, why, why do we have them in the first place, government <laughs> or otherwise? It's crazy. Uh, there is the, uh, advisor, the Federal Advisory Committee is trying to come up with recommendations based on the goal of saving the most lives mm-hmm. and avoiding the most you know, serious, uh, morbid, uh, whatever uh, rationing uh, means or, or distribution uh, uh, will save the most lives and avoid the most serious, uh, avoid serious illness the most. And, uh, and you would think that that would be uh, everyone's priority, but you know, one of the problems with having government make these decisions is government doesn't always uh, follow the evidence. Yeah. Uh, it often follows the politics. Right. Instead, in fact, it usually follows the politics rather than the evidence. And so, so we might have situations where, uh, based on political uh, 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 political might, uh, some groups of uh, workers or you know voters uh, might get the vaccine, even when giving it to them might not be the way be that saves the most lives. But uh, we don't actually know what the optimal strategy is. So everyone is sort of flying blind on this one and making the best. You know, uh, and, and there's another factor in all this is not everybody wants to get vaccinated. And I've heard uh, per- uh, percentages of anywhere from 50% to 30% don't want the vaccine or are skeptical about the vaccine. Uh, I wonder if uh, maybe they should just let the market determine, uh, just open it up after they give it to all these uh, quote unquote essential workers and uh, people at risk, uh, just say, okay, it's available at the drugstore. Some people go get it and some won't. So I have a blog post up at the Cato Institute blog uh, where I um, make a very, which is that uh, in order for the government to improve on how the market would distribute a vaccine, uh, it would have to know a lot of things that it probably doesn't know. Uh-huh. And the the argument for market distribution is better than you might think because it's not just going to go to the rich. Right. Because the drug companies care about saving lives, too, and they care about their reputations sure. as well. And so, so you've got a really high bar to clear before you argue that the government should be distributing these vaccines. However, in this case, the government has already bought a lot of these vaccines. Right. And so once we're sort of in a situation where the government has to make those Yeah, it's unfortunate. But again, I hate, quite frankly, as a libertarian, I hate seeing uh, healthcare officials and uh, public officials being able to make those decisions. I know it has to be done at some level, but hopefully at the at least halfway down the chain, we allow the market to determine how this thing is distributed. I think it'll work out just fine. Uh, again, uh, Michael Cannon, uh, Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. Always appreciate your very informative and interesting commentary, Michael. Thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank, Until next time. Thank you so much. Again, Michael Cannon. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Dr. George Markovich. Dr. George Markovich is an orthopedic surgeon. Uh, uh, In fact, he replaced both of my knees in uh, 2006. As I like to say, the only part of my body that doesn't hurt anymore are my knees. So uh, look forward to our discussion with uh, Dr. George Markovich. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. 
imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Mayor Bill Barnett, former mayor of Naples. Right now we have with us Dr. George Markovich. He's an orthopedic surgeon. He replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I'm so grateful for his care and for my mobility now and uh, a, lot, a lot of great things that have happened. Dr. George Markovich, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. My pleasure, Bob. Good morning. Good morning, Dr. Merrill. Well, I'm curious. Uh, you're an orthopedic surgeon. We have this COVID-19 thing, and I know there was a, a halt on, quote-unquote, on, on inessential operations and so forth. I was just curious about how, I'm going to call it workflow, is going for you right now as an orthopedic surgeon. Well, you know, we did have some issues with elective surgery being uh, tabled for three months or so, almost three months, and we still stayed very busy with, you know, the things that we do when people break their hip or they break their wrist or, you know, they have horrible, terrible pain that they just can't deal with, uh, with things that, uh, you know, can work when it's less advanced. We have to help people, and that's what we do. That's our charge. We stay in our lane. We make things as safe and as effective as can be, and we've, you know, evolved into doing that very, very well over the years. Mm-hmm. So now we're working through a lot of the elective surgery uh, list of people that had to be delayed, and then, of course, the new patients. Uh, so it's been very busy. It's always busy, but I think that we uh, have. Uh, pivoted well uh, because we understand what we're dealing with. You know, we in, we deal with infectious disease on a daily basis. The risk of infectious disease. We have more bacteria in our body than we have human cells, and there is an equilibrium. And bacteria can become bad actors, and viruses affect bacteria as well as animal cells. So, you know, it's something that we're very familiar with. We mm-hmm. take precautions in this uh, era. We have to take more precautions because uh, the viral circulation has increased in certain pockets. But the truth is that there's more of a contagion or a uh, pandemic of fear than there is uh, an actual risk from a coronavirus, in my view. I couldn't agree more. In fact, I said that earlier in the show, and I heard somebody say, uh, a healthcare specialist, probably who uh, he's been taken off Facebook, but he said, wearing a mask is the equivalent of uh, putting up a chain link fence in order to protect yourself from mosquitoes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's a good analogy. I, I, I think that uh, there is very little data to support the use of masks for viral circulation. Mm-hmm. Um, you're dealing with very small, uh, you know, micrometer uh, uh, on the uh, level uh, order of magnitude. So, you know, cloth masks especially, very porous. 
uh, surgical masks even uh, do not protect significantly. N95 takes care of, if it's well-fitted, 95% of uh, potential uh, micrometer-sized uh, organisms uh, or fomites. Uh, but, um, you know, you still have 5%, <laughs> and it's got to be well-fitted. And the, the best thing you can do is just wash your hands, take care of yourself, yeah. <clears throat> do your best in terms of boosting your immune system, you know, get a good night's sleep, eat well, you know, all the things you should be doing anyway. Yeah. And, you know, don't cough on people, don't breathe on people, and, and give them their distance. Masks, whether they help or not, you know, it probably can't hurt, Bob, unless you don't clean it and unless, you know, uh, but but it, it's not going to help. Yeah, I mean, but but uh, uh, the downside, uh, it, there are a lot of negative things that can happen, including uh, viral pneumonia you can develop, develop because you're uh, taking in your own waste. Uh, you know, you exhale not just carbon dioxide, but waste. <laughs> yeah. And the same immune system that probably protects you from that will protect you from COVID. That's right. So, you know, the, the truth is that right now with the hospitalizations and things like that, I'm not sure it's COVID or just people uh, in certain parts of the country becoming very depressed and very, you know, susceptible to uh, illness. Yeah. And that is more than just COVID. And I think it's been promulgated on the population by people that want to follow a certain narrative. You know, I think that it's always beneficial from an individual and societal perspective to be as healthy as you possibly can. That's what I'll, that's what we live for, to yeah. help people do anything they want to do to the best of their abilities without pain. Yeah. However, <clears throat> uh, there's a risk-reward ratio, and I think when that gets tilted by fear, and by irrational beliefs, uh, then you're dealing with a whole different set of issues. I couldn't agree more. In fact, uh, you had mentioned uh, take care of your immune system. Being anxious and fearful, I mean, that, that certainly has to depress uh, your immune system on a daily basis. There is no doubt about that. The mind-body connection is strong, and I think that probably more than anything, that's affected a lot of what's going on. And I'm not sure it's purposeful. You know, I, I'd like to be optimistic and think that we, we are trying our best to move society in the right direction. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of forces that seem to be exerting uh, efforts to control rather than to really help. And that, I believe, is a quite dangerous direction. Dr. George Markovich, again, my orthopedic surgeon. Doctor, I'm so pleased that you took care of me. And uh, just to illustrate how that happened, I came to you with a significant amount of pain. I had a close friend who had his knees replaced. He said, hey, you got to visit my doctor, Dr. George Markovich. So I did. I went to see you. And uh, uh, when you did, uh, you gave me some shots. We took some different ways to help alleviate the pain. It took about three years until the point where I said, Doc, I can't take it anymore. you got to replace my knees. <laughs> uh, you did. And, uh, and uh, what I'm trying to acknowledge here is that you did it in a way that took care of me and you gave me the freedom to make decisions about my own health care as opposed to saying, hey, let's, uh, you got sore knees, let's replace your knees. You didn't do that at all. We tried a lot of different things in order to alleviate the pain. So I just think so much of the work that you do and how you've helped me so much, Doctor. Uh, again, Dr. George Markovich, thank you so much for being on the show. Bob, thank you. And I will say that you are a marvelous human being, oh. and it's been a pleasure to take care of you. We've worked together mm -hmm. to make things as good as they can be, and I try that with every patient that I come in contact with, and I give people choices and options, and they decide how they want to get taken care of. Personal and individual freedom is exceedingly important. So well said. 482-5399 is Dr. Markovich's phone number. 482-5399 is office right up there in the, uh, uh, just in Bonita Springs, 482-5399. The best orthopedic surgeon in the globe. Maybe in the, in the universe. <laughs> well... We try our best. Thank you, Bob. <laughs> hey, thank you so much, Doctor. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to visit with uh, our former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Look forward always to get his op uh, uh, observations of what's happening here locally and nationally. So we're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show.
Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best and now building a beautiful 44,000-foot performing arts center in the middle of downtown Naples. Go to Gulf Shore Playhouse to find out more. We have with us uh, Mayor Bill Barnett, former mayor of Naples. Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Bob. Well, it's my pleasure. Always oh. glad to be with you on a Thursday. Thank you so much. As we like to say, it's Thursday. It must be Bill Barnett time. Yeah. How many years has it been? I think you've been on the show like 14 years or something like that. You know, I, I, um, I, I kind of lost track, you know? <laughs> Me too, Phil. So, uh, you know, I, it, today's a big day. I guess uh, the Maples City Council is meeting. They're making decisions on um, mandates for masks and that kind of thing. Yes, same as the, they're they're they are going to decide whether if you're in the city uh, you need to wear a mask, and um, so I I expect that there'll probably be a big, pretty big crowd down there. But I think that there's a lot more people in the city because of the age um, that will um, definitely be speaking in favor of. Yeah. Uh, and I'm 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 talking about the Gulf Shore folks um, up you know along all along Gulf Shore and yeah, some yeah. of the areas. People so, people that uh, they're they're uh, don't need to go to work. Uh, people who are retired, people who are older, might be fearful about getting the disease and so forth. So I suspect there will be a lot of support for it. But I I just uh, one of the reasons, for example, I like to go to restaurants in Naples. It's because there's no mask mandate. <laughs> so I, they started this whole thing in the first place for tourism. I don't think it helps at all. Well, I, I think that, 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 you, that you're going to hear. Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, look, re- regardless of, of us, um, you, you, got, you have, um, you know, Teresa Heitman, the mayor, has switched over. Uh, Penny Taylor did a flip-flop. You know that. Oh, and, yeah. uh, and then I know that... Uh, Gary is definitely in favor because he's really compromised with his with his son, sure. um, and um, uh, so I have a funny feeling that they've all made up their minds uh, to to go with it. And you know, Bob, like you know, like it or not, what they really should have done because people are, have been absolutely confused is, hey, listen, in the first place, why don't you just mirror the county? Whatever the county did, the city did because it's one and the same, basically. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they- but. The county, the county actually is 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 a pretty good, you know. If you have to do something, basically what they said is, look, if you can't socially distance, you got to wear something uh, something in a business. Right. But if you can't socially distance, wear a mask. And that's a. It's a. I don't like government mandates, but if you have to have one, that's about as reasonable as you can make it. Well, I agree because who's going to know whether you're. Uh um, you know, whether you're properly socially distanced or not, yeah. basically, you know, um, and somebody's going to say to you, Hey, you're not six feet, put your mask on. I mean, um, but I suppose you're right. So if they just mirrored that, they can make it, um, uh, that would, 
that would make it a lot easier on everybody. You know Absolutely, what I, mean? I do. Now, apparently, Alfie Oaks. I don't know if you know Alfie. But, of course, I do. Yeah, he, what a great guy. So he's he's uh, he's going back to uh, sue the county about these masks, this mask mandated. My favorite quote from Alfie is. <laughs> He says, I, "I'll wear I'll wear handcuffs before I'll wear a mask. I can guarantee you that." <laughs> yeah, said. yeah. He, I saw that uh, uh, yesterday um, that he's um, he's going after them again uh, because the federal judge uh, who threw a lot of the stuff out because uh, um, it wasn't pertinent to what they were talking about, but left the door open with a couple of them, and so he's yeah. he's, he's tightened them up and. Um, and they're going to go take another try. By the time they get done with all this, hopefully the whole thing will be over anyway, and the vaccines will be rolling. And uh, you know, yeah. so uh, yeah. uh, we'll, we'll we'll have to see. But they are certainly making good progress on the vaccine. Yeah, great great progress indeed. In fact, the governor yesterday I, I talked about earlier in the show uh, gave did a video. It was a speech, so to speak, about uh, his plan, the state's plan for distributing the vaccine. Very reassuring comments. And Good. Uh, I think his his, uh, his plan is outstanding. And uh, again, he focuses on the other thing he said is, "Hey, we're going to kids are going to be in school no matter what." I like right. that, that reassurance too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's been very proactive, and um, uh, you know, whether people like it or not, I mean, we're going to have a season here. Mm-hmm. There's no two ways about it. Right. Um, especially with all that snow going on up north. Yeah. No question. Say, by the way, have you been to see the table? Uh, have I been there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, what a, what a great um, great place, huh? Oh, it's a phenomenal place. You know what? And he doesn't really care whether you're wearing a mask or not in there. You know, I mean, he has sons, and you don't have to. You know, you all over the place. But you know, there's a lot of people. I think the last time that Chris and I were there. Um, we counted about half and half, maybe. Yeah. Um, there were a lot of people that had them on, and a lot of people didn't, but nobody paid any attention to anybody. I mean, well, I, I go there because I love, I love the merchandise that he has in oh, there. It's fantastic. The food is great. The food I mean, is, he's, yeah. he's really good. Really so, good indeed. But, I, you know, I, what I'd submit to you is uh, I think it's one of the happiest places in town. Oh, it is. <laughs> it, it, it definitely is. I mean, people have a, have a great time there. And he makes sure of that, you know, yeah. he does all kinds of things. But I'm wondering, all right, so here's the question for you, Bob. All right. So will he and the crew be down there at City Hall today? Well, that's a great question. Of course, his business is not located in Naples. Now, I think he's got another business that is, though, isn't he? Oh, sure. The Food and Thought right on, right in uh, in the um, uh, little plaza right across from uh, Publix. Yeah. So uh, um, he has a vestige. In the gateway. Yeah. So, so. So I, yeah, he very well could be there. Well, I would say this. I would say that I, you can, uh, I would bet, <laughs> Yeah, I'd bet that he's going to be there today. Yeah, I, I, w- I would not take that bet because I think he will be also. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I think they're going to have a, they're going to have a big crowd there. And uh, um, I'm be curious to, to be watching that. So, um, but you know what, Bob? I mean, I, I can't see them not doing something let's put it that way i i would give you that bet that they will do something today uh, they're no. not going to just say no we're not yeah. you know what i mean i do know indeed so uh there was a big controversy about the uh city attorney has that all been resolved it's been resolved um the, the bottom line is is that they gave jim um jim fox the the our attorney a um a one-year contract okay and uh the only provision would be that if they did hire um another firm that uh he would you know he has 30 days or something like that to 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 pack his stuff basically but the interesting thing there bob and you haven't heard this before but i can tell you they hired a firm uh colin benziger and colin benziger's firm um they're they're headhunters a professional they they really and truly deal with nothing but city managers and and Mm. county managers and uh um all over the country okay mm. and colin benziger is a wonderful guy i mean he did our city manager search the last time he he narrowed down some phenomenal candidates mm. but here's the caveat he he doesn't do i mean they hired him and and but they don't specialize in 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 a, in finding attorneys for for cities mm. okay 
I mean, they'll do it and he's going to do it. He says, you know, he's got good connections and some good references and whatever it is. But that's a lot different than the county uh, county and city managers and all the people in management. They have their own magazine, as you can imagine, and their own network, I should say. Right. Right. So, you know, if someone's looking for a city manager somewhere, whatever it is. And and but for attorneys, I think it's a whole new ball game, And I just don't think well, I mean, he's going to bring in a. a, a an attorney or a firm from uh, San Jose, California. I mean, obviously they would limit it to Florida or they would try to. Yeah. But, and I don't know the details, whether they said, no, you can go outside the state. But obviously the firm might have representation here, you know, in Florida with someone holding a license. So I don't know, but that's something you and I will keep our eye on and I'll keep you in the loop. Well, to me, I mean, if, if in fact the attorney that uh, you say his name is Jim Fox, was it? Well, yeah, it's Retzelandris, yes. So uh, he, if he's done a good job, I mean, if he's even adequate, I mean, I don't know why you'd look, because you, how do you, <laughs> you have to get up to speed. You have to know all the things that have happened in the city. You've got to know the background. You've got to know the rules, the regulations, right. the laws. I mean, how long is it going to take him to get up to speed? Probably <laughs> he will be, anybody that you hire, I don't care how good, is going to be inadequate for the first year they're on the job. Well, l- let me comment real quickly on, on, on what you said. Uh, earlier to open that conversation. Jim Fox is probably one of the finest, if not the finest attorney I have ever had the pleasure of working with his firm. I had Bob Pritt before and who's a member of that firm. Jim Fox is a classy guy, smart. He's a professor in law. He's he's taught. Um, He's a relatively young man, you know, um, and he is really good. Uh, Heitman didn't like him. Okay. So, um, uh, and some of the others just, you know, they want They want someone that they can point their finger at and say, hey, we want it done this way. Well, I think they're going to have a very difficult time. And to get rid of someone who has served us, they've been with us, gosh, I want to tell you, 20 years. Yeah. Um, and they've done this, they've done really well for the city. I mean, really well. Yeah. And um, they've also given us discounted rates, which is kind of unheard of because they are a top firm. But I'll leave it there. But I can tell you, Bob, um, I put them in a class with you. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know well, what to say about go. that. <laughs> but, well, you know what I think about you. You're the best. So, I mean, he, he is just a very class guy, as you are, and, and he's smart. He, he just knows what he's doing. So, for them to jerk him around like that, and, and uh, he, he literally had them over, you know, like he was ready to leave. And they said, wait a minute, we, we can't find. They tried to find a replacement, someone to come in temporary. Now, you know that's never going to happen. Right. That just doesn't work. So, that's, that's it in a nutshell. Hey, so one thing before I let you go, Bill. Uh, yeah, I'm letting you go. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 there's apparently, and I, I've forgotten the details on this, but we now have an ethics committee of some sort. And I think oh, sure. they have yeah. a, I had this meeting. What's going on? Well, listen, let, we'll talk more about that. Mark got down for next week. But okay. let me tell you, there's some very good news about that. Because you know the brouhaha that went on with that and, and the appointments, and we fought it and everything. But the people that are on that, there's especially a couple of them that are phenomenal and dudley goodlett is one of them ah. and john cardello jr uh uh is is on there and another gentleman named laird lyle is on there and uh with dudley as the chair i'm i'm uh, looking forward to and and i'll br- i'll tell you more about it next week how's that that is just perfect mayor bill barnett always appreciate your very informative commentary here on the show bill thank you so much for joining us you're welcome bob and uh take care of yourself and best to linda bye yeah, thank you so much and the best to chris well that's a wrap here on today's show i hope you enjoyed it if i always appreciate your feedback by the way i'm getting these emails and some very very interesting comments so send me an email at bob harden at hotmail.com bob harden at hotmail.com if you'd like to receive the uh, newsletter that i send out after each show you can uh, mention that as well Tomorrow, uh, as I mentioned uh, earlier in the show, we're going to have John Burlow on the show. He is a uh, senior uh, uh, research fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute, a terrific organization with some similar views to uh, the Cato Institute that we've talked about before. So he's written a book called George Washington Entrepreneur. It is a great read, and I look forward to uh, interested, having John on the show and talking a little bit about our first president, George Washington. We'll also visit with William Yateman. He is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. We'll be talking about current events and what's going on. Sharon Kenny is the author of Where Should We Eat? And Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil on Our Doorstep, will be with us as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. 
Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harton Show on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharton.com.